0: Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com.
1: Okay, today's teaching text comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now... Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. You hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to
0: one abnormally born. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hang that one back up. Thanks, brother. Um, This morning, I want to begin a series of teachings that will actually take us right up to Advent, Um, and it's it's like 11 or 12 weeks, Um, and the series is going to be titled Good News Gospel, and actually, the idea was inspired by a person and a text, Um, that person um, being the late Tim Keller, um, likely one of the greatest um, thinkers and pastors of our time, and I had an immense honor of being in a training program with Dr. Keller in 2019 and into 2020, kind of... uh, through the height of the pandemic, um, learning directly from him about pastoring in the city, starting a new church, um, living in New York. I was very um, grateful for that time. I was very impacted. And um, I was in this program with a handful of other individuals. And um, when he died, um, uh, she texted us and she said, what an honor it was to have had time with Tim. His work and his legacy carries on through us. And I got that text and I just kept thinking about that idea of a legacy carrying on through someone, and instead of just reading it and saying, yes, sure, I actually heard that text as a challenge. How will his legacy carry on through us? And um, if Dr. Keller taught me anything through reading his books and, and time in the classroom with him, it was this centrality of this thing called the gospel. And that's what I really want to give our attention to. Um, I know that seems like a very long time to talk about something, um, but it's sufficient enough to talk about it for that long, and so um, we'll do that. So let me pray uh, as we begin. Lord, I love you, and um, I pray right now that um, this scripture, that it would just come alive, that it would come off the page, that, um, that it would be in our heads, but it would be in our hearts ultimately that you would be calling us towards belief, that you would be calling us away um, from idols, that you'd be calling us away from distraction, that you'd be calling us uh, away from anxiety and fear, and you'd be calling us towards your truth. And so I just pray that as, um, as we look at this today, um, Father, I pray what we know not would you teach us, what we have not would you give us, and what we are not would you make us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you were to go, um, there is a a museum in Berlin um, which holds a a calendar with an inscription in it. And the inscription comes from an ancient Greek city called Preen. And uh, there, it's now modern-day Turkey, they found this calendar. And the calendar was inscribed a a stone, and it was celebrating the birth of uh, Caesar Augustus. If you, were to, if you were to go to Berlin and see this, it, it says in, in Greek, so probably most of you wouldn't be able to read it, but it says, the birthday of the God, Caesar Augustus, was for the world the beginning, and then dot, 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 in Greek, it says, "eōngelion," which means good news or good tidings. And really what it is, is uh, it sounds like the beginning of a gospel that you and I might read like the gospel of Mark, but this is an ancient Roman uh, writing, and the word gospel is found there, "eongelion," and it translates as good news. It's actually two words put together, angelos, the word for announcing news. It's where we get our word angel from, and then there's a, a prefix, eu, which means good. So the gospel, that word, literally means news that brings about joy, and this is what Paul is attempting to put on display here in First Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. There's a little nerdy thing there. Um, it basically says um, in the original language of the Greek, it says gospel, um, good news. Here it is. Um, it says, "Eongelion," and then the word I preached is basically the same root word. So he's basically saying, I good news you with good news right? Like a, a double usage of like, I'm going to put good news on you. And the original hearers would know exactly what this idea holds and what it means. They would, they would be hearing, wow, there's something that has happened in history that is introducing a radical new way and system of being. Good news. Now, here's where we begin, of course, asking, is this how we understand the Christian faith, Right? Is, is is this how our neighbors and our coworkers would understand the Christian faith as eongelion, good news, news that brings good tidings? And one of the things that's making me question, as I'm as I'm reading and studying, is do we actually understand the core tenets of the Christian faith, right? Because in some ways, I look around and I think I think people have really misunderstood Christian faith as a whole, but actually they don't see it as good news. And, and, and maybe for good reason. And so how do we begin as a church and as a people to really embody good news gospel, not overly complicating it, but not overly simplifying it as well so we can get really to what is the heart of the Christian message. And so here's what I want to do today is I want to talk about what Paul's doing here. Um, he's giving us a historic gospel, and uh, they were laughing at me this morning because I said, Paul's bringing receipts, Right? He's like, this is who saw the resurrected Jesus, this person, this person, this person. So I want to talk about a historic gospel. Um, I want to look at um, what I would just call like anemic gospels. Like what, like they're, they're sort of half truths baked into there and we'll look at that. Um, maybe some things that we believe wrongly and then I'll, I want to give an overview of where we're heading over the next 10 weeks and the phrase is this, the gospel has chapters and so each week will sort of be a part of that chapter. So now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, and on which you take your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you just read that sentence, you would think that's probably important, right? By this thing, you're saved. That's a, that's a big deal, right? If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then look what Paul says, for what I received, Paul received this, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what is Paul communicating here? He's receiving something, and he's passing it on to these people. The first thing I think that's important to acknowledge is that Paul is saying, this is not my message, right? I didn't come up with this, and actually, this is not the message of any uh, one person or any man. And part of the problem in trying to understand um, this idea of a a good news gospel is that we're attempting to to understand it in merely human terms, right? Paul later in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I actually really appreciate, maybe it's as I grow a little bit older, I'm like, I appreciate mystery more. I used to want to figure out mystery and make everything really tangible and like try and manage and control it, but more and more I'm like, mystery is beautiful, right? Not being able to grasp something fully is, is, is okay, and then he says, you take your stand on this, and by this gospel, you are saved. Paul's communicating something really profound here. He's saying, this thing is completed. You don't add on top of it. It's not my message, right? But also, you don't get to adapt it, right? You don't get to change it. Like This is, this is my message, or this isn't my message, and it can't be improved, and it can't be changed. And so the question then becomes, what is the content of the gospel then? Like, what's the content? And when um, Paul um, says in, in, cha- in, in verse 3, he comes to the, the content of it, we begin to say, oh, wow, this is, this is something different than actually I even thought. Look what he says in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Katie, would you mind clicking? Um, one more. Thank you. So Christ died. Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and Christ appeared. And I find it fascinating that in describing this thing that's sort of central to the Christian faith, Paul doesn't say, okay, remember all of the things that Jesus taught. Remember what Jesus taught um, about um, how how to love your neighbor. He, He doesn't actually go into any of the practical teachings. He says that the contents or the message of the gospel is what? Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and Christ appeared. And then he pulls out the receipts. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to, to 500. And I love that, that phrase he says. He says, and as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul's like, I got to see it. And so when you're reading the Gospels, you're not getting, um, you know, second, third-hand accounts. You get that later on, maybe some in the epistles. But what you're actually getting is you're getting eyewitness accounts. People saying, hey, you know what? Like, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus die. And then I saw him after And so in in one sense, you can look at the Bible and say, wow, this is a book of wisdom, and this is a book of knowledge. But the other way to look at the Bible is to say, this book is historical. And this is what Paul is attempting to do in 1 Corinthians. He's saying the claims of Christianity are historical. This is something that has actually happened in time and in space and in history. And so when we gather, like I love that we were just singing the Apostles' Creed to to say, like, "This, this is what we believe. We gather because we actually believe the Christian faith is facts. We, we believe this to be facts. This is not philosophy. This is not ideals. This is not principles. This is not ethics. This is not idealism. The essence of the gospel is that it's facts, right? And you, and you can wrestle with that. I'm fine with that. You can wrestle with, is this facts? Did, did someone really die and, and raised from the dead? Wrestle with that. That's good. But my point this morning is that the claim of Christianity is that we're not talking willy-nilly about ideas and how to be a good person, but we're actually talking about facts. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. Christ appeared. And this is where we begin in our series on the gospel. Um, At our house, um, some mornings, um, we turn on the news, though less and less, as our kids are starting to, like, understand. Um, Rose came to me the other day. She, like, ran into, I was in the kitchen, and the TV was on. She ran, and she handed me the TV changer. She goes, it's bad news, Daddy. I'm like, oh, mute, right? And so she's starting to grasp, you know, the implications of bad news, right? But I've noticed this sort of rhythm in watching the news. The opening of the news is actually news, right? It's reportage of what's happening, right? Um, It could be, um, you know, it's breaking news, a tragedy happening, flooding on the subway, you know, someone trying to poison their spouse. People are wild out there, okay? Like, it's getting crazy, but um, as time goes on, right, you have news and it's like this reportage and you're just trying to, as journalists, they're trying to get at the facts, right? As time gives on, you ever watch like the second or third hour of the Today Show? It just gives way to advice, right? And it's sort, of, it's sort of funny, how to manage your money, how to prevent sickness with kids going back to school. Here's a recipe, right? And so the news is, is reportage, right? It's trying to tell you something that has, has happened, and it, it's an attempt to get at the facts, right? Advice is a different segment, right? right? Advice, advice is something solely different. And, and sometimes we go to church, and we're looking for the advice portion, right? I don't, I don't actually think that's wrong, and I don't ultimately think it's wrong to give advice, but I think we need to delineate what the Christian message is. And so check out this next slide here. Um, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, advice is something about, uh, sorry, advice is counsel about something that hasn't happened yet, but you can do something about it, right? You're thinking into the future. News is a report about something that has happened, which you can't do anything about because it has been done for you and all you can do is respond to it. And so the part that I think is important here is that the gospel is good news, and it's not good advice. We can take it to mean advice, but that would be incorrectly interpreting Jesus's message. That's not what he came to do. He did not come to advise you, right? But he did come to do something greater for you, and therefore it is news why is this important? The essence of every religion is advice. Here's what you need to do in order to connect or be right with God. Here's how you have to live. This is how you need to behave. This is what you need to do. That is advice. And you know what? I'm just gonna, I just want to put this up front. I was, I was really feeling a conviction this week as a pastor. I thought, wow, I often give advice sans the, the news. And I actually was feeling like, man, I need to like repent of that because I want us as a church to be reoriented. That's not the Christian faith to give advice. I think, again, I'll, I'll reorient this in the back to say there's a time to give advice, but is it rooted first in, in a news that's been given so that we can push from there? Christianity is ultimately news. Here's what's been done in human history. And do you see sort of the, the subtle shift right? If, if we're always just responding from Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, Christ appeared, if that's sort of the foundation of our faith, there are some things that we have to navigate about that, but there's also a freedom there, right? God is connecting to you, not on the basis of, of what you've done or, or what you haven't done, but God is actually connecting to you on the basis of what Jesus has done, Right? And, and there's a sort of danger in us gathering to always say, well, here's some good advice. Here's good techniques on how to live a good life. Here's some good ideas. Let's, let's get in a community group and have a really good support system for this, and our goodness will draw us closer to God. It misses it completely, and we need to be cautious. Christianity is facts, right? And here's, a, here's kind of a fun way to say what is the gospel. Um, it's unconditional love to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Unconditional love from God. God loves us so much he created us and he, he wants to give that unconditionally to us. Who are we, right? We're gonna to try to come to terms with this over the next couple of weeks, which is not always the easiest thing, is that we're undeserving, right? Is that we're undeserving because of our sin. And then it's by an unobligated giver. He didn't have to, but God chose to in his son, Jesus. Christianity never starts with the things that we do for God, but it always starts in, in what God has done through us, through his, his son, Jesus. And so Paul says, the gospel, facts. It's based on history, all right? So in some ways, I, I, I mean, just in responding to that, I would say, well, I think we've missed the mark in a lot of ways, right? It seems like the gospel we often have is um, maybe like reduced or diluted. And so we're calling it anemic, right? What, in what ways have we reduced the gospel. What are some anemic gospels? And the first one is this idea of relativism, right? We live in this culture where we'd say, like, you do you, like, no right, no wrong, like, everything goes. And obviously, this is not the gospel, but I think this is a cultural way of being, right? It's a a sort of underlying gospel truth, right? You would never stop on the street and, and tell someone how to live, right? No, you would say, like, just let them do them, right? It's why when something crazy happens on the train, you're just like, "I just like whatever they're doing is fine," right? It's probably not fine, right? Most of the time, but you're like, "I, I, I they do, you do you," right? You do you. Like that's that's kind of the, um, I would say it's our generation's way of responding to the world. Like, right? you know, a little bit of peacekeeping, right? I every individual was free to determine right or wrong for them, right? I'm not here to impose my morality on another person, right? it's an honest wrestling that I think that we actually have to have about what we believe and how we um, think about right and wrong in our world. Because ultimately, I just say it this way, ultimately, no one is a moral relativist, right? No one wants to be around a person who, who, who ultimately says, whatever you do goes, right? That person will have no friends, right? They, that person will be frustratingly selfish, consumed, and ultimately finding themselves as, the, as their own God. So I, I would say it, it sort of breaks down very quickly when you think about this idea, just you do, you do you, right? But that sort of anemic gospel is actually underlying in our culture, and it actually brings a lot of pain. It brings a lot of pain into our friendships. It brings a lot of pain um, into um, relations, like with our spouse, where we just say, it doesn't matter how you do. Well, it does, because you know what? that hurt, right? So that actually doesn't even make any sense. So that's obviously not the gospel, right? It's like some form of like irreligion, but you know what is equally not the gospel is this idea of religion. And one of the things I find interesting about the person of Jesus is Jesus is constantly coming and critiquing the religious spirit of his day. You find that more than he critiques people who are quote unquote sinners. And I actually did some research this week. There, there, I th- there, there may be one time, but outside of that, there's no time where Jesus calls people sinners which is so profound, I don't, even, I don't even know how to work out the implications of this, maybe in the coming weeks, but he calls people lost, right? And so I think it's really fascinating that um, in response to this thing called the gospel, what do we do? We say, you know what? Jesus died for me. I think that's such a wonderful thing. That's such good news. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to be so good, right? I'm going to even get there on time. None of you on time, all right? <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? But what, what moralism ultimately is, is it's a type, a type of self-salvation where we feel better about ourselves, where we'd say, you know what, I'm going I'm to do a little bit of behavior modification, like even the good things, right? Like I, I think it's important to call out good things in this, right? I'm going to learn to be a better friend. Like, you know what, like I just, I haven't been showing up very good. And so, you know, I'm going to try to be, I'm going to have like a more communal life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share more generously. I'm going to serve. All of these good things we often confuse with this thing called the gospel, and the default mode of the human heart will always be a drift towards self-sufficiency, and I, I hate that. That's the, that's the sin nature in us, is that we earn, and um, we figure out things on our own. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we control, and we grind, you know, and, and that's just, that's, that's an anemic gospel. Um, in Matthew chapter 3, there's a perfect picture of this. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized It's this beautiful moment where the Trinity is present. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. The text says that um, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And it says this, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. It's this, this, this voice from heaven with an affirmation that Jesus is beloved. He's loved. He's one that's given um, an identity in this moment. And I'll just show you sort of a kind of a visual of, of what this looks like here. Um, if you could hit the next slide there. Thank you. Um, the father looks at the son and says, this is my son whom I love. Um, I don't know um, if you've ever had um, the voice of, of someone, a mentor, a, a, a parent Say, like, you are loved, you are secure. I remember um, the day I graduated college, just hearing my dad say, I'm so proud of you. Like, it was just like, soul, like, battery is, like, full, right? Like, I'm just filled up. Right, and this is what happens here with Jesus. He has the affirmation from the Father. He has a secure identity. This is who you are. You're loved. You're loved. You're loved. You're secure. Right? It's not based on anything he's done. Jesus has healed no one. He's taught nothing up to this point. This is very early in Matthew's gospel. He's really done nothing yet. And then out of that is his obedience. He goes into the wilderness. Um, he, he really, you know, finds um, suffering in the wilderness. Forty days. And so this is the pathway of the Christian faith. This is anti-moralism. But the problem is, is that um, the general practice of moralism is the opposite direction. And so let me show you the next slide here. The father, um, this is how we tend to try and get love in our culture, right? And I think in, in, for some of us, what we have to reckon with is this is how we were raised. This is how we grew up. This is how we were trained, right? Russ, take out the trash. Do, do what dad says and dad will love you. My dad didn't say that, but is that sort of built into our hardwiring in our, in our lives? And here's what happens when we work the triangle backwards. You're, you're doing obedience, but you're, you're doing it out of fear. And, and when you do it out of fear, you do obedience out of fear, trying to gain the identity, what do you ultimately get? You ultimately get shame. We have to work it the other way. This is the moralistic spirit of, of our age, like the religious spirit that we're actually working for. And maybe if you would say, if you would say this morning, you know what? Um, I've had a lot of interactions in the church or with my Christian faith that have brought me actually a lot of anxiety. This is why. This is why, because what, what we actually have to do is we have to say, you know what? I have a heavenly father who loves me. I'm so secure. I'm, I'm so safe and I'm secure in his love. He loves me despite my failures, my shortcomings, my good works, my good deeds, all of it. He, he actually, like, First and foremost, primarily, you are one that is loved by God. You are safe. You are secure. And then out of that, there's so much goodness to be, ha- to be had. But, w- w- but what is this doing? It's rewiring some of our thinking. I just want to say this. I'm, 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 I think some of this is registering. Um, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to, like, really accept and believe that, like, first and foremost, that's who you are, that... Um, that, that, that voice that calls, that calls the son beloved. Like, this is my son whom I love. In him, I'm well pleased. And like, maybe some, some of you right now just need to be like, yep, I, I'm, I'm like internalizing that. I'm accepting that. And there's been a lot of things that I've been trying to do to earn that favor and that care and that love. Or I've even misunderstood the Christian faith. Um, and, and actually, this is a, a full reorientation of what it means to follow Jesus. You, you, you can try and follow Jesus out of duty and obedience, right? It'll work for a little while, right? You might even get a lot of affirmation from the people around you, but ultimately, it will fall apart. I talk to people, um, and they say, well, you know, I, I'm considering Christianity, but I just don't feel like I'm good enough yet, or I don't know if I really have adequate answers to the questions, or I don't, I don't, I don't know how to pray, or I don't know how to read um, the Bible, and, and, and sure, it sounds actually nice and modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but actually that's a complete denial of the, the gospel. That's a complete denial of the gospel. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say, he is good. I'm not, but I'm in him, right? I'm not, but I'm in him. For me, I know me. I'm profoundly fickle, right? I'm good. I'm bad. I ride the, the emotion of the last positive or negative email I received, you know, <laughs> Like, I, I get discouraging vibes from a friend. I'm like, I'm doubting my goodness or my salvation or my worth as a friend, right? I'm fickle, but I'm secure. My identity is there. And so this type of moralism is what, what I would say is anemic. And, and maybe that's even too light. It's anti-gospel, right? It's a denial of the love of the Father. Tim Keller speaks to this. He says this. He says, traditional religion uh, teaches that if we do good deeds and follow the moral rules and our external behavior, God will come into our hearts. He'll bless us and give us salvation. In other words, if I obey, God will love and accept me. But the gospel is the reverse of this. If I know in my heart that God has accepted me and loves me freely by grace, then I begin to obey out of inner joy and inner gratitude. Do the obedience part, right? We should do that, but let's do it from the right place. Push back against the religiosity. All right, one more, and I I took too much time there, and so I'm going to be very, very quick. The last one. The last one is um, a simplistic gospel. If you were to walk out on the street, and and you were just to say what does it mean to be a Christian? I think people would probably laugh at you a little bit. Um, And then I think they'd probably say something like, I think Christians believe that they're sinners, they're going to hell, but Jesus saves them, right? That would be sort of like, and you might say, wow, like that's kind of right, right? It's quick, it's easy, and guess what? Most of all, it fits really nicely on a sign, right? You go somewhere, you're like, oh, sinner, hell, Jesus saves, heaven, right? Like it's a very like overly simplistic gospel. Anybody grow up hearing, you know, some of this? Okay, yeah, I'm I'm sure many of us had that experience. Um, These are partial truths, but partial truths shape us in good and in bad ways. And so what I would say is we have to zoom out from that and say, what is a fuller gospel? How do we actually understand the teachings of Jesus, um, the uh, the meta narrative of Scripture, like right, Gosp- um, uh, Genesis to Revelation? Like, how do we take this whole picture and understand it? And that's what I want to kind of preview um, for the rest of our time here. And I'll be I'll, I'll go through these actually pretty quick. What if we said that the Gospel has four chapters? Instead of maybe that two-part gospel, we would say, let's get a bigger gospel, right? And I don't want to complicate the gospel. That's, that's not my, my attempt at all. But what if these are the chapters of the gospel, and this is actually going to be our frame for the series. So each week, what we're going to do is spend two or three weeks on each of these. Um, the first chapter, we would say, of the gospel is creation, right? That we were created by God to create. And maybe, maybe another like, addendum in there would be, we were created in his image, right? We were actually created to be like God, um, to ask questions. Where do we come from? What is our origins? Who are we? And I thought a lot about this idea this week is that we sort of have in us, in a good way, like this instinctive vocabulary to know who we are and to know um, like, what we're about. Um, my son, um, he he's driving me crazy this morning. He's just talking. He's just all over the place. He's talking or he's crying. He just makes noises all the time. And so lately, um, you know, I'm putting him to bed. Um, his mom was out of town. And so I'm like, I'm rocking him to bed. And he, he just says, he has this pacifier and he says, stay here, stay here. And I'm like, oh, I'll be here forever, buddy. Like, I'm not going anywhere. But like in five minutes, I'm like, my arms are tired. I got to go. Um, and, then, and then I start telling him, because um, I want him to kind of think about this. I'm like, can, can, can you say, like, Daddy loves me? You know, Daddy loves me. So he says, Daddy loves me. And it's, it's, it's incredibly cute. But the other night, I said, who, who loves you, Luther? And he said, Luther love Luther. Luther loved Luther. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is why people have five-plus kids. Like, this is amazing, right? But what I'm finding about him is he's, you know, he's almost two, but it's, like, instinctive in him to figure out who he is and who he's loved by. He's two years old, but he's already starting to internalize, I think, this idea that, that, that he was created for a reason and a purpose, and, and that purpose is um, to, to love. And so that's what I want to spend time with over the next couple of weeks. Brandon will be talking about that next week, that idea of creation. What were we created for? And this is really important. If we, if we skip the creation part, we actually misunderstand the origins of who we are as people that God wanted to create us for good. Because otherwise, we, we fall prey to that, um, that simplistic gospel we start at step two. But that doesn't make step two um, less important or chapter two. It's the fall. That sin entered the world through disobedience, and I want to look in that in that in those weeks about um, like different aspects of what sin ultimately is, so we can really understand not just like. Um, you know, we're sinners in, a, in the hands of an angry God, but actually we figure out, like, what are the, the numbing tactics that we have as people? What are the idols that we put in place of God? What does that even mean to have an idol? Well, um, what, is, what does that begin to look like? Because I know we want to run away from the idea of sin, but what if we actually pushed into it to understand the the ways that um, our hearts are longing for God, and we use other things in, that, in terms of that longing? And then the third one is um, this idea of chapter three is redemption, that we can actually have... Um, life in the person of jesus what what makes us right what does that look like what does it feel like to to be redeemed like is there does it that, does that have a feeling to it and in the fourth chapter there is the restoration um sometimes it's called the consummation of all things or the renewal of all things how do we partner with jesus in the renewal of all things and how do we join in on what god is already doing this i believe is a fuller gospel creation fall redemption and restoration so here's where I want to end today. Paul said a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, by this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, you are saved. So could you just maybe put yourself in that spot for a second? Like, saved from what, Russell? Like, I didn't, I didn't know I needed saving. What's the gospel telling us? Inside of the gospel is news that you and I are lost, Right? And I love that, 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 that Jesus uses that word lost. I think it's here. Yeah, it's in Luke in 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What if, what if that's the way that we actually think about um, what Jesus came to do? Is that like our God is, is the one that says, you're lost, but I'm actually coming to find you. Right? You're lost, but I'm actually seeking you. I'll never forget, um, I was like 16 or 17 years old. I was with a mentor of mine. We were in northern Arizona. We went on this long hike, and we got lost. Getting lost in the woods is terrifying. For like 30 minutes, you're like, we're lost. Like an hour, you're like, we're lost. An hour and a half, you're like, no, we're lost, you know? And then it just starts to dwindle from there. We were lost for like three or four hours. And that feeling of being lost is like, we can can look at the passage, and, and, and we can say, well, you know, yeah, like that seems like good news. But no, no, no. Like, do, do you know what it's actually like to be lost and then to be thinking about someone coming to find you? That actually is a different message, right? And so some of us, we want to approach the Christian faith and we want to say, wow, well, you know, Jesus' teachings really fascinate me. That's not it, right? If you're just fascinated by the teachings of Jesus, you're actually just missing it, right? He can give you some good wisdom, sure. That's not why he came. He actually came to seek and to save that which was lost. And God's heart is for those he created and loves and cared for and desires to be in in relationship. And so some of you, you're not lost enough to yourself for Jesus to come get you. You're trying to figure out, cobble the identity together on on your own. Jesus shows up not as a moral teacher to, to, to guide you and to give you some wisdom. Jesus actually came to say, you're lost. Can you admit you're lost? Can you admit you don't know how to get yourself out of this? And then what did Jesus show up and say? Here's what I want you to do. You can respond to this, and here's how you do it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent, and I want you to believe. Rep- repentance is just a, a word that means to turn and go a new direction. And, and you know what it ultimately means? It means you are wrecking your life. It's not going to work. That, that way of striving and being and running yourself into the ground and numbing, like, that's not going to work for you. So turn back. And we repent because we fall, because we sin. But then there's another part of it. We don't just turn. We turn towards Jesus. And then the the word that Jesus uses um, for belief in the Greek is pistis. It it means, um, the best translation I think for it is to relax. It means this. (sighs) Brandon always trust falls on me. Drives me crazy. He just walks over and just trust falls on me. But that's what it means to believe. It means you can trust fall in the person of Jesus he's going to catch you. And so have you received that message? That's what Paul is ultimately asking. Are you receiving that message and are you standing on it? Or are you standing on something else? Are you standing on your own goodness? Are you standing on your knowledge? Are you standing on your work or your relationships? Are you standing on something else or are you resting in the gospel, in the person of Jesus? The gospel is something that you and I respond to and I really hope that you'll respond to it in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Lord, this is good news. Sometimes I, you know, I look around at the church. I, I, I think about the ways um, our culture is trying to figure out what to do with religion in our time. It's all wrong because there's a historic message that's sufficient. And so, God, we come as a people to believe that today, that you did something in time and history through your son that we can choose to live inside this story. And I pray now that um, in the coming weeks that we really would place our faith in that, that we were created by you and in your image, that we fall short, that there's disobedience in our hearts, that there's ways of numbing and, and reducing pain that we run to. But God, that you have redeemed us that you call us into a work of renewal through your son. I pray that that would be our inner workings as a church, that this would be the very foundation uh, of who we are uh, as a people. And Father, as we come to the communion table now, may we, um, with this embodied act, be reminded of your great work, your death and your burial and your resurrection, all of it inside this meal. And so as we come to the table, we love you.